All right, greetings everyone. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, this morning we have Dr. Kaning. I'm so excited. Woo! Joining us. Um, just to read the quote off the website, Dr. Kaning loves to uh, loves working at Lawndale and meeting her goals of promoting the well-being of women, children, and families, increasing access to high-quality health care, and promoting holistic health in an interdisciplinary team. She specializes in behavioral health for women and received her PhD from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, as you can see, she works here at Lawndale and uh, even at Wheaton College. Uh, what's, your, what's your role? You're a professor of... Professor of psychology. Uh, professor of psychology. Woo! So we are honored to have her. I'm going to pray, and then the next voice will be Sally. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for this day. Um, we love you. This is the day you have made. And we rejoice and we are glad in it. Now, Lord, um, bless our time together. Um, may we leave out empowered. Um, so work through Sally now. Use her in a mighty way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Brooks. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I'm very, very happy and grateful that you're here um, and a little bit amazed. Uh, <laughs> at this hour so uh, I know it was a long night for me last night so thank you for being here and um, I just hope this will be a good time I have a little bit of information and um, hopefully something that we can do together and then um, talk about whatever you want to talk about but um, so my um, focus for today is using some really really simple strategies that people who work with patients can use in short periods of time that were developed by the acceptance and commitment therapy people, which is known as ACT. And I'm a clinical psychologist, so that's how I um, contribute to the healthcare that's delivered here at Longdale. And um, when I came here, I started on a sabbatical, um, and I was able to be here for two weeks after having done research and consultation with Longdale for a while. And at the time, 12 years ago, there was this new approach coming out for therapy and mental health, um, newish approach called acceptance and commitment therapy. And actually, the people that started the behavioral health integrated care model here at Lawndale were trained by folks who developed the application of this way of doing therapy in primary care. And Kirk Strozel is one of those people who trained our very first behavioral health psychologist, Dr. Neftali Serrano. Um, he came, Serrano shadowed him and he, um, Dr. Strozel helped him understand kind of how to really do patient care well, and I'll, I'll leave these here. Um, but these are, you know, there are many approaches to things like psychotherapy and psychological evidence-based interventions with children, adolescents, and adults that really require, you know, 12, to 16 weeks to show evidence. And I'm trained as a child and, and family psychologist. But when I was coming in here, besides working in PEDS, um, the leadership wanted me to try to develop behavioral health in women's health. So I thought I needed to beef up my strategies with adults. And I spent my year 
um, here, falling in love and then begging never to leave. <laughs> and then um, also learning how to do acceptance and commitment therapy. And a lot of the behavioral health providers here use acceptance and commitment therapy approaches. I definitely don't have time to kind of give you a thorough or even a medium-sized treatment of, of what that means exactly, but I hope to focus on sort of one area that I think can be communicated well and that we can all connect with, and that's values and helping people move in, helping our patients move in valued life directions. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's see, let's see what we can do with that. And I'm thinking if I hit the down arrow. So, Acceptance and commitment therapy has a lot of really esoteric language associated with it. It makes me giggle, and it, I, when I was first reading about it, I wanted to hit my head on the wall repeatedly. Um, and that doesn't work here at Lawndale, right? We need to be able to communicate with each other and with our patients without a lot of jargon, right? And this is something that the ACT people call the Hexaflex model, and it is essentially a picture of what we think well-being means looks like in mental health. And the big idea is that people who um, have a lot of mental health well-being are very psychologically flexible. So it means we don't get stuck in rigid ways of thinking, we don't get stuck in the past, we don't get stuck in the future, we don't get stuck in interpersonal patterns that are unhealthy and dysfunctional. Um, and they define that idea of psychological flexibility with these with six constructs, I don't, I don't have them all here, you'll see the sixth in, in a later slide. Um, and some of these would take a while to really talk about, but I think it's fairly um, easy for us to hop in on two of them, the first of which is values. It looks like my circle floated a little bit um, in loading here. So the blue, the blue circle is meant to be around values. There's nothing symbolic about that, okay? So if we think about psychological flexibility as related to values, it means that we want our patients and ourselves to be living lives that reflect the values that we really have. And I think believers and Christians can, and people of faith of all kinds, and even folks that simply desire to live good and meaningful lives can really relate to the importance of values in, 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 our, in our daily lives and in the long run, right? So you know what values are, they, they clarify what's important to us or what we find significant or meaningful, right? It sort of shows us, our values show us what sort of person that we wanna be and what we wanna stand for in life. Um, values and especially when we make choices and, and live in directions of our values, it helps us get, have a sense of meaning and of purpose. And they really can act as guides. If we're not quite sure what to do in moments, if we think about, well, what values am I trying to live out here? Um, for example, um, I have this challenge in my working relationship with my medical assistant. Um, what values are in play here? I'm not sure what to do. Well, I really value excellent patient care and excellent delivery of care. And I also really value love and compassion in relationships with my colleagues. So how can I find a solution that matches or that reflects both of those values? So they can act as a guide. You know, I might be able to think of something that will get that excellent, hello, Dr. that excellent patient care going, um, but we, we might find that some of those um, choices might conflict with being really respectful and loving to our, to our colleague, right? 
So the challenge in life is figuring out, are we living in accordance with our values, even in small moments, right? That's how they serve. So I think that what I've been finding as over the last 12 years as I've been working with this approach um, with our patients in short, intense contacts, often with very serious kind of things on the line for our patients and for the health that we want for them. I just want to share five, there's a lot more benefits, but I'm just going to throw out five for us this morning, benefits of, of engaging our values in our, in our patient contacts. The first is that values allow us to connect with strengths of our patients and activating parts of who they are, right? We're so often dealing with things that aren't going well, that aren't well. I had several patients where my provider partners and I were concerned about their weight and their weight wasn't changing and their weight was affecting their glucose levels and that was worsening, right? And we have so many things to focus on that are disease-oriented or you know, risk factor-oriented but values, when we connect there, these are strength-based and they're very activating. What, what do I mean by that? Well, values have a kind of, I was searching for the terms here, I think they have a kind of durability or resilience to them that doesn't get wiped out by the kinds of mental disorders and behavioral health challenges that I, that I work with all the time. And they certainly don't get wiped out by things like diabetes or sickle cell disease or by, you know, heart disease, right? They don't get wiped out by smoking. Now, that might sound a little off. What do I mean by that? Values in our lives can definitely be hidden, right? We, we might be unaware of what they are or, we, or they might be minimized by us or by other people, right? Or they might be complicated or, or they might not have had attention in order to even arise, right? There's lots of ways in which we may not be acting in accordance with our values, right? As, as believers, people of faith, we often have theological understandings of why that is. Why, why do I not do what I want to do, Paul says, right? Um, it happens so often. But when you think about it, that's a problem of the application of values in patient lives. It doesn't change the value. Or if we're not sure what our values are, that doesn't mean that they're not there. And so this is a very critical thing to consider. If you believe these first two points, they become, values become an enormous resource for you as someone interacting with, with patients. The third benefit that I want to share is that when we do values talk with our patients, it facilitates a kind of communication about the most important things in life. And one of the things that I learned immediately by coming to Mondale is that the people that I work with, um, from providers to people at the you know, reception desk, to every, people in IT, people in the, who walk me to my car, in the facilities department, people want to do something of value here, and they want to engage with our community in ways that are meaningful and lasting. Hello. And values talk makes it really easy um, the conversations that I have about values are the conversations that come back to me later or that my other behavioral health colleagues, I had a patient tell me um, who had seen Dr. McLean, one of my behavioral health colleagues, very skillful in OB, she had worked with a patient related to some faith values and that patient came back weeks later and saw me 
yesterday and shared with me something values-oriented that had really stuck with her. Think of all the words that we say to our patients. Um, I've found that these are the kind of interactions that at least I believe feel very meaningful and I've had some enough feedback to sort of see that there can be lasting Im impacts from these kinds of conversations. Values-focused interactions also can easily intersect with using strategies of motivational interviewing. How many people are familiar? I, I would assume that most, if not all, people are familiar or use motivational interviewing um, to build collaboration and reduce barriers to healthcare and self-management. So yesterday, um, I was I had several instances of using ACT and motivational interviewing together. Um, they, motivation is often fueled by values, right? So often in OB, when I'm talking to women about things like quitting smoking or, use, or not using certain alcohol or drugs anymore or um, thinking about whether an intimate partner relationship is, is healthy or very risky for them to continue, uh, for example, or whether um, how, how attached to their early pregnancy they are. Um, when we explore people's motivations, if you try to do that directly, sometimes people will look at you back like, what do you mean, what's my motive? It can seem a little direct, it can be a little confusing, but when we start talking about what's important to you in your life right now, what do you care about? Or I've been listening to you and it's obvious how important your children are to you. How does that fit with where you see this relationship, you know, how, how is that relationship that we've been talking about impacting how you feel as a parent and how you think your kids are doing, right? So when we want to engage motivation and find out where the most activating parts of our, of our patients are, no matter how depressed or how unwell they are, those values are in there. And if we, can, if we can grab them and then use these other strategies that we learn that are technically very effective like motivational interviewing, we can often make quicker tracks and more effective tracks and much more collaborative tracks. You find much less resistance from patients if you're talking about their values. A lot of patient resistance, I, I'm somebody as a psychologist who you gotta prove to me that a patient is resistant. Because to me, what's usually the problem is the, is the communication process with me or with the other person. Communication and resistance is, a, is an interactional, it's a relational dynamic. And too often we look at our patients and say that they're resistant when really it's our strategies and our, our context and our communication that has much more possibility to opening up the motivation and values of our patients. And I think that ACT values-related techniques can really help us do that. And then last, oh, it did fit on there, that these values-based conversations can also help people identify and discuss faith beliefs and practices. And for those of us to whom it's important to engage that important part of people's identities, um, again, it's not that hard to go from talking about values to asking, and I wonder if any of your values are related to spiritual or religious kinds of things. Some of our patients, some, some are for some of our patients and some aren't, right? And it's a very easy way to open up more existential and spiritual kinds of conversations with people when you're talking about values because I have not met a human being yet who doesn't have some values, right? And I, I would say that these techniques, if somebody is 
severely impacted like a mental illness, like some kind of psychotic process, for example, which I've had patients, you can't do this, right? Because you're not talking about the same things. Or somebody who you go in and their blood, you know, the, the pregnant patient in the third trimester, early third trimester, whose blood pressure is through the roof, you know, I'm not going to start talking to them about these kinds of things because that's not accessible and it's not the priority, right? But for the most part, anyone that, you're, that we're interacting with, short of these very severe cases, are going to have identifiable values. And it's a very easy place to move. It's like a, it feels like territory to me that's really close to spiritual and religious beliefs that makes it easy for us and quick to sort of pivot over and asking whether those values come from spiritual or religious backgrounds or experiences or beliefs. So, what are some ways to do this? Um, I have a handout. Um, I'm always afraid, like in, with my students, I'm always afraid that if I hand things out while, while we're sharing, I, I might wait. Thank you. See, okay. see, this is Lawndale. People are just, <laughs> you have to be careful what you say. I can't say anything around nurses at Lawndale, at least in OB, because if you say something out loud, like, oh, dang, I, I messed up. You know, I, I shut that down. They'll be at my desk helping me in two seconds. I'm like, I gotta be careful what I say. So I'm gonna hold on to this for a minute so that I don't distract you with this, but don't worry, I, I have tools for you that I'm gonna send you home with. But so what are some classic ways that the ACT people try to get at values if you're struggling? Now, I'm not sure how many I, I don't use this a lot, but this is a good opener that's classic that I think can get you started. I wouldn't mind if y'all thought about some of your values as well this morning, um, since you're important too. But um, just to get us started here, one of the ways that the ACT people help folks identify their values and get that going in a conversation with mental health people like me is to just ask people to imagine that they're at their, you know, some important birthday ahead of them. Like for me, it would be like my 30th birthday when that comes. So like that really important milestone. You know, imagine I'm at my 30th birthday, or I'll try to imagine my retirement party. I don't know, way too far in the future. But, um, and a couple of people make speeches. You know, we just had Bush's funeral. I don't know how many people listened to some of those speeches, but wow, some of them were, were amazing. And retirement or funeral, I don't say funeral. We don't want to be like, what do you want said at your funeral to a person with depression? I, I don't use that strategy, but <laughs> if you listen to those kinds of speeches, they're all about bringing the person alive again. Retirements and birthdays are kind of like, what do we love and appreciate? What characterizes you? Sometimes, like I remember at my dad's funeral and my, my husband's father's funeral, some of what the loved ones are allowed to say are those stories that we all laugh about that they're not the most admirable thing about the person, but it's part of what makes them them, right? So values aren't all like she was the bravest person in the world, right? It's just about like, what did that person care about? So you kind of ask, so what, what would you want those people doing the speeches to say about you? I'm looking at some people like, wow, Bruce, I could, I, I know what I say about you when I tell people about you and some of your gifts and, and who you are and what you mean to us at Lawndale and to me. And so, but, but what other people might say about us and what we would love for them, for them to say about us might not be the same thing, right? So what would you say? What would, what would I say? What would that patient say? Um, and sometimes asking 
for me, asking a really socially isolated person to imagine a birthday party where people are making speeches about them might be just result in sobs, right? So you have to tailor, you know, that person like, I don't have anybody that would say anything nice about me, right? But the idea is, what would you want, right? What would you want? If you could put something up, a plaque about your life, what would you want to be said about you? She was a person who blah. And so, if I could share some things with the media and with the world who looks at communities like ours and just sees stigma and just sees violence and just sees, you know, all the stereotypical things that people see in our communities. I would walk them into OB just for maybe three hours and let them listen to the conversations that I have with people. Again and again and again, women who walk around with all kinds of stigma and expectations about them for who they are, are telling me over and over again that they, they just wanna care about people. They just wanna love their kids. They just want to find love themselves. Things that we can very easily value. They may have a lot of challenges living out those values, but those values are there. And often with encouragement and often through tears, people will talk about them. Another sort of more worksheety kind of a approach that people use is something called the bullseye. I like stuff that I can draw on the back of my labels on a clipboard, right? I use a lot of Edinburgh screeners and PHQ-9s, I'm always, and I'm walking around with every provider I work with schedule in front of me, so I'm always walking around with a geeky clipboard. And I like stuff that I can just draw, or if you have to yank open your, your door and your printer and grab a piece of paper, you could just draw something like a bullseye. And one way to do, I have found that patients respond at least to the very abstract things that behavioral health providers often have to talk about with really concrete pictures and drawings. And so a bullseye is just a way of sort of saying, okay, if you just think about your life as like love, or I say relationships, relationships, work, and things that bring you joy, right? Um, write for me, you know, let, tell me what some of the things are that you, that you really care about in those areas. You might write them over here. And then if you say, well, if, if this is my most important great for adolescents and kids who you can't have the you can't have you know these abstract conversations with but when you make it a little bit concrete that can be that can be helpful um, I'll show you one that I use this less I use one a lot more that I'll show you right at the end and I have copies of these for you um, don't worry and then you, what they, you can do is you can rate well how how consistently or inconsistently am I living this out right now you could draw another bullseye, or you could just use it that way once you write down the things. You could say, well, how consistent are, is my life with this? Or we don't usually have time with talking about people's lives, right? We might be talking about, like, well, you know, with the way that you're, you know, kind of approaching your diabetes care right now, how, how much is that in line with your desire to really be there for your children, right? How is that, how is that fitting with that? Well, it's not really very consistent with Right? And you're not, this is not a persuasive process. 
in motivational interviewing and in ACT treatment, if you're trying to be the persuader, it's not going to be effective. What you're trying to do is facilitate a revelation of who this person is so that there's space and time and encouragement and support to live out of their own values. If we're trying to persuade them to do stuff in a tricky way that's spinning stuff in maybe a palatable way, it doesn't work. Like anything that where we're trying to like coerce our patients. So here's the last and the sixth part of this model of ACT. And you can see that values and committed action are, are right next to each other. Because what we're really aiming for is to get patients to take committed actions out of their values, right? We have to identify and engage and respect those values and see their connections to important things. But then we got to get people moving, right? I really need my patient yesterday to start examining how her sexual choices are affecting her mental health and affecting her, her overall health well-being, right? So that's more of the goal that the provider and I have together. So how do we go at committed action? Well, first of all, what is it? Again, it's taking steps in the direction of the desired life. And I should have put a sixth benefit on the, you know, on the slides earlier, because I think if you get focused on steps, you will prevent burnout. So how, do we, how many students? Just maybe one student. Good, they're getting some rest, or else they're already working on other projects, or a future student, right? Um, to prevent burnout, you gotta orient towards steps in meaningful directions, as opposed to needing the whole solution all at once, right? Um, committed action helps us to set goals guided by values, but then take some effective action to achieve those and express our values. And the acceptance part, which I don't have a lot of time to talk about today, requires that we sort of, you know, in the process of taking these steps, it's gonna be hard. I recently, for the very first time in my life, did this super hard food thing, and one of the best parts of it for me is I feel like I can identify with my patients with diabetes much more about these radical adjustments they have to make, um, especially in the early process. And um, I, I've always known that that's really hard for people, but now I know it from my gut, right? And I had to accept that in the process of doing this, I was gonna be hungry, irritated, fixated on food, weak and dizzy until I figured out how to do it right, and cranky, did I say cranky? Irritated, did I say that? I should say irritated too. So I had to accept that that was gonna be part of the process toward my goal. Because if I didn't, I would fail. Oh, now I'm experiencing something negative, and because I'm experiencing something negative, I'm gonna go off the path of my goal. And that's human, that's what we do, and that's why a lot of our patients go awry with the things that they want and we want. Um, and we gotta help them with that, and there's lots of ways that we try to do that. Over time, these little steps, the baby steps that in that, what's that movie, What About Bob? One of my faves. Baby steps, over time, those build into patterns and then ultimately it characterizes a life direction. So the super hard food thing that I did where I was miserable for 10 days became 30 and now I'm at something like 50 and it's like, oh, now I have this way of cooking and eating and it's like, oh, okay, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a big pattern and I think I'm moving toward a life direction. Um, we also have to realize that for every step we take in the direction of our values and committed action, we can 
go in the other direction, right? Um, so we have to repeatedly return to our values no matter how many times we lose touch with them. And this reminds me of a song, one of my favorite songs that we sang in church a lot on the west side. Um, we fall down and we get up. We, Bob, do you know this one? We fall down and we get up. I, that's all the words that I remember. We just sing it over and over and over. We fall down and then we get up and we go in the direction of our values. We turn, oh, I went on the exit, wait, no. And then we, okay, all right, whoops, I'm off. We go back in the direction of our values. We take a U-turn or somebody knocks us back. We get up and we walk back in the direction of values. And people need folks like us to believe that that's meaningful and not meaningless. Because that people feel like a rat on a wheel so often in life. So often people tell me, I was doing this good thing and then this thing happened that was out of my control. What's, what's the hope? What's the point? Why is God allowing this? And they're just discouraged, right? Because we focus so often on goals. Or it's like, oh, I need to lose, I need to lose like 110 pounds. How motivated do you think that patient is going to be to be miserable like me for 10 days so that she can find out that she lost a pound and then she's going to start lifting weights and gain some weight, right? How motivated is she going to be, right? We can't focus on that 110 pounds, right? We got to figure out how to help her find a new process. And in this way, when we walk in the direction of our values, every step is a victory. Every step is a victory. I used, to, I used to juggle my baby at night um, and sing in the middle of the night because I'm not a good non-sleeper and I had a super bad sleep disorder after my daughter was born, which is sort of what got me into OB interests, postpartum interests and things. And I used to walk up and down our long hallway and sing, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. And I used to just pace forward. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. And then by the time you sing that part, you've woken up your baby who is sleeping because you're singing loudly and probably other people in the house. But I think of that walking forward when I think of this with my patients, that with every step, when you're walking in the direction of values and that's our orientation, then people can, with each step, feel a sense of accomplishment, feel a sense. It's not, this is not a magic wand or a silver bullet or any of those things. It's still hard, but we need every advantage that we can get. So this is my favorite one because it's the simplest to draw and the easiest to adapt and you don't need anything besides your pen and a piece of paper in the clinic. But I adapted something like this that, I don't know what you call it, there's not really a name for this and I, don't, I always adapt the language a little bit. But um, I'll show you de-identified examples. Of, here's my scritchy scratch from my actual work with patients. Doesn't that look like that would really help you <laughs> if I did that with you? But um, the idea is that you're drawing two intersecting you know, arrows that are going both ways. And um, what this does is it sort of gives you the opportunity. I, I, use, this in, I use this differently. So to me, I'll draw the up and down line as moving towards your values or away from your values. And I'll, I'll help, you know, I, while we're talking and I'm learning about values, I'll start to, and if you could not share, the, there's no identifying information on these, but if you could not share any of those, sure. if you're taking a picture. I, I don't have these copies, but um, the, um, 
if you write some patient values at the top, and you know that's moving towards your values, and then this is moving away. And then if you think of the left to right, these would be things that maybe things that you're doing to take you away from those goals, and things that you're doing to take you toward those goals. Um, or I guess this is away. This, yeah. Oh, I guess what I did yesterday was this is taking you away from the goals. What you're doing, and these are things that other people are doing to take you away from the goal. So I'll use. You know, here's your valued life directions moving toward, moving away, things that you're doing that help move you toward, things that you're doing and thinking and feeling that help that take you away from your goals. And I use this for what others are doing to help you move toward goals and move away from goals. You can adapt it. I used it just a little bit more simply um, with this patient, just to, because this was the very first time that we talked about anything. Um, this was my attempt we were working with a big area of, of barrier to her moving toward her goals and we were just showing how her emphasis on what everybody else wanted from her and her de-emphasis on respecting herself kept interfering with her living out some of the things that she cared about and the question became the insight from the consult became hmm I wonder if this pattern is part of what's taking me away from achieving my some of my values more consistently. I'm using adult examples. These are definitely things that you can use by just using much more concrete and simple examples with children and certainly with adolescents, and we can talk about that if you're interested. The original focus is simply to help create a visual picture for people of is what I'm experiencing inside and what I'm doing, is that taking me toward or away from the valued life direction that I want or my valued goal? It can be as focal as something like controlling those sugars, right? Or having a relationship where you feel accepted and respected, right? Or it can be something like, I had a patient say to me yesterday, the last person that you would ever expect to articulate a question like this probably, she just said, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here and maybe if I knew that, I would know what to do. And so somebody was putting up all kinds of other fronts and masks of every kind and by the time we really talked about stuff, that was her main question. And she felt so trapped because she just thought it was maybe a, a purpose that dropped from the sky and maybe God gave it to you but probably you had done so much bleep that maybe God wasn't going to have anything to do with you at this point. Um, so why don't I stop there? Um, we have about 20 minutes, I think, 21 minutes. Um, we can, you could maybe ask questions um, or dialogue or maybe show, share how you use um, values. And I'll, I'll hand this out now. Um, I have 10, so if you need more, we can, we can copy them. This is these are the originals. Thank you. Um, and um, or and we and or we can. I thought if you wanted to try an experiential exercise, you could either you know talk with somebody about a couple of things you'd love to have someone say at your funeral, or your or, sorry your retirement party, your funeral, <laughs> or your birthday party, or you could pick a, a patient situation like for me. 
weight loss or diabetes control or getting out of an intimate partner violence situation or you know not engaging in risky sex for an adolescent or um, taking that ADHD medication that that you know 11 year old boy doesn't want to take right you could pick a patient situation and try to role play doing the the arrow or if you feel like you haven't seen enough maybe I maybe I'll do one with somebody in front of the what so you want to dialogue a little bit or do you want to try an exercise or both what would you like what would be meaningful to you what do you value <laughs> any any comments or questions to start with? This is great. And, and, uh, folks that have gone through some of this therapy and have really great about Wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. It's been quite a development. Yes. And sometimes with, with behavior and altering people's behavior, mm -hmm. that's really one of the difficult things with, with helping people get healthier, whether it's trying to lose weight or whether it's trying to abstain from sex yes. if they're sexually active. How important is the value of perseverance when you talk about patients? Like, do you find that that's something that patients struggle with? Do you yes. think that's a, um, a sign of their spiritual maturity or lack of spiritual mm -hmm. maturity? Mm -hmm. How do you respond, how do you, how do you introduce that value uh, into perhaps helping them to see that that's helpful? Right. Their what a great question. <laughs> Um, oh, we know how critical perseverance is. Um, grit is the one. Grit is even beyond perseverance. And some of the people in our community have that way more than even we do. But so often we are, we are dealing in parts of people's lives where maybe the perseverance is not sufficient for what we'd like them to do. Perseverance is almost never a value that comes out in these kinds of conversations. Um, I myself, in the most difficult areas of my life, one of the reasons it's difficult is because I don't have any perseverance in that area. And I'm a pretty tough cookie in some areas of my life. So I think perseverance, like muscles, is developed over time. And the most painful and awkward and ugly uses of those muscles come in the, in the early stages. So I think the, the thing that you're laying your finger on is dealt with by this overall perspective of, of having a very processed, step-oriented, approach that you are going in a direction of what they value and and so, and, a, and a strength and a value and so weight loss I think it is an amazing example of that instead of people's faces and countenances just change when I say something to them like you know we're not gonna I'm not gonna focus with you on like losing and deprive this is not about depriving all that like yeah we're gonna have to change diet, all this stuff, right? There's, yeah, big sacrifices. But if that's what we're trying to work from, that's why you've been so discouraged in the past. I wanna find out what's out there. If you lost 40 pounds, what would your life be like? What would you value about that? And people, oh, they can't even talk, they, don't, they can't talk about it, or they'll cry, or they can't even imagine, right? But if you persist and you get in there, had people like, I would really like to feel more energy. A lot of people would say that. I used to feel more energy. I'd really like to feel. I'd like to feel a little bit more vibrant. Okay, you do. Are you sure? You know, say it to me again. Like, okay, you really want that. All right. That's what we're going to chase. Okay. And we're not going to be like, oh, we're only 29 pounds. We're, you know, yeah, we got to think about that because there's real reasons why we have targets, right? Um, so it's, it's not dismissing that. But 
then I think when we get the steps and we get the steps and then we learn that, oh, when we fall down, we keep going, because you're chasing vibrancy. And then you find that they come back the next week, how did you do? If I just pay attention to how many pounds came off or just the glucose level or something like that, if I just pay attention to that instead of, how did you, so what did you do? Oh, you actually, so you actually went down, you took the brochure at the fitness center? Okay, did you look at it? You did, okay. Did you see anything? Like, yeah, maybe I'll think about that. Okay, how did you feel after you did that? Well, I kind of, I kind of felt a little good. What, what kind of good? That people think I'm nuts, because I make them describe. I'm like, not really. Like, if I were you, what would it feel like? Where in your body? Kids love, where in your body? What kind of good? Touch the face, which of these faces did it feel like, right? And all of a sudden, you've just talked for like two minutes about how good they feel. I'm like, and I'll say like, wow, your whole face, your whole expression changed when you talk about, good for you, you know? And I'm not some white, silly cheerleader, right? Because that's annoying for a lot of people. I'm just witnessing, I'm testifying, and I'm noticing things that they're not noticing and other people may not notice. And then over and over and over again with those kinds of things, especially when you come back from setbacks, that's where perseverance comes from, I think. We're talking about the very difficult areas of lives, I think, where people are really starting from scratch, where people have not been socialized and sort of reinforced and validated for perseverance in some of these areas, and they've faced such incredible pushbacks. So that's my, that's my take on it. And I just know how much that releases. Now, again, if you're the one who has to sit there and be worried about, we still have 60 pounds to go. I don't know if this makes it sound like, well, I don't want to refer anybody to Canon because she's going to be celebrating over the fact that this person took a brochure, but I'm titrating that according to where the person is. If they can, we have to figure out what people can do. Right. And I think that the, the character piece comes when people start noticing that they feel good about having taken steps. And I talk a lot with my African-American patients about respect and their sense of respect for themselves. And that seems to be a really you know, strong point of engagement that people respect and feel good about living out their values. And I think for my Latinx patients, especially the women, just sort of talking about the things that they care about and then how they feel when they, you know, when they're living out of those, even when it's really hard or when it's baby steps, seems to result in a lot of, a lot of sense of satisfaction and meaning. So, yeah, great question. Any other comments? Yeah, it's easy. Um, so, that you, know, you do a lot of this. Like yeah. When you're utilizing these kinds of strategies, what does that look like when you're kind of like, mm -hmm. how much time within yeah. a visit right. would something like this? So these are from yesterday. Um, so these were two very, very different visits yesterday. Um, and I, I get 30 minutes, right? And that's one of the reasons why you definitely want behavioral health, right? Because you want to extend the care that you can give. But if I'm listening to somebody pretty, so the first phase is always assessment, right? Um, so if I'm listening and I'm noting, uh-oh, there's some barriers here, or there's some like, they don't, they're feeling discouraged about what they're supposed to be doing, or they're not making progress, you know, you can either start with some motivational interviewing strategies or with some value strategies. And I'll just sort of like, would it be helpful Kind of step back and see. Uh, so, are you are you and Doctor you know Haas together 
on your on your desire for these sugars to come down? Like, yeah. And if the answer is yes, like, would it be helpful to step back and sort of look at maybe some ways that we can make that more possible for you and some things that might be getting in the way? That probably took me 60 seconds to say, right? Now I'm gonna die, now I'm gonna be listening and trying to evoke, all right, so why do you care? What, you know, why do you want your sugars to go down? Like, what's important about that? And I'll use motivational interviewing techniques. You know, six months from now, when your sugars are down, they're staying down, how will your life be different? How will you be feeling? What will you be doing that you care about? What will other people, how will this affect other people that you care about? You know, what will Dr. Haas say? <laughs> and, and then we'll focus on, okay, how important is that to you? Scale one to 10, 10 being the most important thing in the world, right? And then we'll try to, and then I'll probably try to use most of the rest of the time to unpack the dynamics around what's getting in the way and what can facilitate it. So going to this, Kind of a thing and then you just have to it just will go in whatever direction seems to be the most important to that patient in that situation and then i need a little time at the end to see like are we what what's the take home and behavioral health providers we always try to have in our minds where a person is on the Prochaska stages of change so for this patient wait for this patient this patient was in a preparation stage of change so we got pretty specific in terms of where she wanted to go. She wanted to actually, she said, I think I want to, and then she had a specific diet-related step that she wanted to do. This patient right here, we were way before that. We were in the contemplation stage. She's looking at me like this, and we're like, well, what, what, what is this? And then she, you know, at the last, she's like, why do you do this? You know, I'm just like, I don't know, I'm just are you supposed to make people feel bad? <laughs> no, I mean, ultimately, because you're not doing a very good job of that. <laughs> no, I'm actually really good at that, though. But yeah, so yeah, I don't want to make it sound like she left all upset and unhelped because she she was good. That's just her and me. So at the end, that action step is: Would you, you know, does it seem like this is something that you would think about? Is it possible? Is it possible that you can have a situation where you can think about caring for the other person, but also think about respecting yourself? Sounds complicated to figure out, but when that, when that family member is asking you for that umpteenth thing that you feel like you don't have to give, and then you end up with these negative health consequences, is it possible that if you opened up, like maybe there's a third way instead of just like, flipping off your relative and maybe getting aggressive or just doing it and then being angry and self-defeating and self-harming, is it possible that there was a third way? And what would that look like? Would you be willing to think about that? And then come back and talk to me in two weeks again. Now that might not sound like a lot, but for this patient, that would be a lot, right? So. We think in terms of the proportions of our 30 minutes that we have and the assessment and then the, the treatment. And, but a lot of the times to me, the treatment is about helping people see things in a different way and then what are the implications of that for those last couple of minutes and what are they ready for? And, and how would that, and of course, related to what, what we're trying to do for them, right? I don't know if that's specific enough, Daisy, but that's, that's what it, it so it's a very, 
I have in my head the ideas of values and committed action as it relates to the healthcare goals for that visit, and then what values are important here based on whatever the barriers and the facilitators are for those health goals, and then I go after that, and then we talk together about what are the next steps. And I don't use this for every visit, for sure, but a lot, a lot of the ACT principles for most visits. And I think any provider could sort of, if you're, if you're hitting a tough spot, you can sort of like, okay, let's step back, you know, let's step back for a minute. Or you could just say, hey, can one of the behavioral health providers do that one? I'm not sure if that's giving you enough of a window. I think these are really good tools, um, being a minister and um, also a dental assistant. I, mm -hmm. I can see myself relating with this. Also as a parent, you know, yes. as well. Yes. Uh, following steps and not just projecting out, you know, big areas from here, this space, yes. that space, but, you know, just knowing that there's a pattern. Yes, absolutely. I've used this with my daughter. Um, as a younger, as a, like an older adolescent, and even as a young adult, it can be very overwhelming when people are trying to get to goals, but they're not anywhere near where they are. And that idea of taking steps in the direction and then paying attention to yourself and celebrating that, even if nobody else will, right? Celebrating this. I, I, I thank you for that because I do think it's really relevant for parents and pediatricians can use that. I think it's relevant for us. Just stepping back every once in a while, like if you're having a rough spate vocationally or relationally, like what is going on? You know, what and stepping all stepping all the way back to those values that are there and how is all this stuff, this noise relating to what I really care about? And all this stuff I'm doing, how much is it taking you toward those things? And how much is it taking you away or just in a different direction? Yeah, Bruce. Yeah, obviously. As a pediatrician thinking about these just the adolescents that are sometimes, you know, yes. just so resistant, such having such yes. a hard time. There's uh, depression and anxiety and mm -hmm. poor self-image. So just thinking it'd be a part of you know, walk through this conversation with them. Uh, and uh, in the exam room, you know, it's kind of like we have such limited time. Yes. So it's kind of like yes. we're always trying to think of what what you know, sometimes we feel stuck. Right. You want to do a role play with me one? Okay. I want to. I don't do good with role plays. So. Oh, that's okay. No pressure. The last thing psychologists need to do is like freak people Dr. out. Dr. Dallas. But can you give me an example of a of a reason, like a like a an issue that you would want an adolescent to be engaging better with in their health? I can give you a few, but what's something that's relevant? Oh, I mean, we, you know, pediatric. I mean, obesity. Is yeah. One, right. You know, all the time. And to me, to me, adolescents are like the perfect act clients because their brains are just starting to explode with all these possibilities of like their value. And whose values do they care about except their own, right? Now, when you're depressed, that's a that's a problem in it. But at least for me, I get one of my favorite things about working. I really miss being on the piece floor. Really, really miss it. And one of the things I miss the most is our is our young men looking at me with these faces of like, the realization, like I'm actually asking what they really care about. And I'm not gonna let them like, wiggle away. I might not be looking at them, or I might be looking at them, like, and I know you, Bruce, so I know that you genuinely, genuinely care. But I think creating, some, well what do you, you know, 
Thank you for letting me talk and serve our patients. Well.